0: Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast.
1: Today, as usual, we'll be answering questions, prioritizing questions that are important, that are asked with a sincere need for an answer relating to one's practice in satipatthana vipassana. So if you have questions, you can anytime post them in the chat. We're collecting them, so don't worry about it getting lost. We're collecting them and prioritizing them. If they're just curiosity questions, they'll be really low on the list and they may not get answered at all. So specifically looking for questions that appear to need an answer related to one's own meditation practice or some urgent practical Buddhist matter. But to give time to organize questions, to give time for people to ask questions, and to sort of start us off on the right foot. We are going to, as usual, do meditation together until quarter after the hour, so it'll be silent until quarter after the hour. You can do walking or sitting, walking and sitting, and come
0: back in 14 minutes, and we'll get started with asking and answering questions. Okay, we're back. Start with the Q&A portion. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. For a first-time meditator, why does anxiety
2: increase in the initial days or negative thoughts increase more after daily meditation practice? Can you give advice?
1: Well, that's not always the case, but that certainly can be the case. It's not uncommon for that to happen. The answer, the reason is pretty simple, though not obvious. So we have habit. We have bad habits. Those aren't created as a result of meditation. Not really. But we also have defense mechanisms. We have ways of dealing with these. So suppose you have an anger issue i mean suppose you're prone to anger as most people are you have ways of coping with your anger ordinary pe- ordinary anger we have ways of coping with it um or or let's say boredom which is a kind of anger there's many kinds of, of disliking mind states so suppose you have boredom well what do you do you find something to entertain yourself the thing about meditation is you 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 prevent that you stop yourself from engaging in the um the means by which you you alleviate the stress and the suffering so it's similar i mean it's the same thing as someone who has a drug habit going through withdrawal and that's basically what it is because the uh, enjoyable states uh, produce drugs in the brain chemicals in the brain which are just drugs in the end and so you're you're being um made to go without those so that's only a superficial part of the meditation mindfulness has nothing to do with that mindfulness doesn't have that issue the issue is you will be quote unquote meditating but you will not be being mindful because it's a skill you have to develop so you'll be sitting Uh, stressing out and trying to control your mind and trying to be mindful trying to figure out what it means to be mindful trying to figure out if you want to be mindful if this is something you actually want to be doing wrestling with the fact that your mind doesn't want to be doing it and would rather be doing other things etc etc so absolutely in the beginning it's a lot of difficult a lot of trouble just as really any training is going to be frustrating and stressful in the beginning until you get. become proficient at it so it's not surprising nor should it be seen as a problem or an issue um we should be able to see the difference between quote-unquote meditating or practicing and actually being mindful because those will only be moments there will be moments when you're mindful and try to hold on to the memory of those and remind yourself yeah those are that they're they're actually i can see clearly that there is benefit there And then in the moments when I am mindful, there's no question that it is reducing stress and alleviating uh, misery and alleviating the need to uh, chase after things that we know aren't
3: actually going to satisfy us anyway. Is practicing meditation once per week for 30 minutes too little or enough?
0: Oh no! It should be once per day. You don't have to do. You don't have to commit to thirty minutes
1: per day, though. That's probably a good minimum uh, for a beginner. I mean, to do our at-home course, you have to be doing at least an hour a day. But if you're not practicing every day, you can't really be considered to be meditating. That's what I would say. That's how you should look at it. If you're not doing it every day, it's not really. uh It's not actually profitable. I mean technically it is profitable and maybe in some future lifetime or even later on in this lifetime it will be a support for you to actually commit
3: to meditation but you're not going to see any greater benefits not likely unless you're a very special being
0: i built a habit of jumping around too much in
2: meditation i fall back into it easily and i have this idea that it has to be difficult and I have to be 100% single-pointed and perfect.
1: How can I break this? Well, asking how you can break it is really just um, perpetuating the the base problem, which is this of trying to control. Um, Well, no, that's not the only problem you have, but that is, I mean, that's just as much a problem as the habit of jumping around. So you shouldn't be asking how to break it. The real answer is, pretty simple you should try and be mindful of it so you you saying i have to be something what that's showing is there's a state of mind a desire to be something um you have this idea so okay that's an idea that arises in the mind take that as an object don't make it out to be don't let it become a boogeyman something that you're scared of something that you react you're reactionary towards those ideas arise the belief that you have to be such and such that belief arises, those are just experiences. They can be taken as objects of mindfulness. The other thing about habits is don't be discouraged by the fact that they keep coming back. The fact that something keeps coming back doesn't mean that you're ineffective or you're hopeless helpless against it. It just means it's not under your control. So you have to change the way you approach the quote-unquote problem. Instead of trying to fix it, try to understand it. And if you're going to understand something, the fact that it comes back is actually a boon. It's actually beneficial. So don't be discouraged by it. Be ready for it and be encouraged by the fact that you have the capacity through the skill of being mindful
0: to confront it rather than try to chase it away or break it or something like that. You're too chronic back pain. Sometimes I can hardly walk at all and the pain level is really high.
2: Should I still do walking meditation then, or double the duration of the sitting
1: meditation? So pain is some is a, a valuable meditation object. Becoming enlightened, they say there are four ways to, that are, are, four sort of surefire ways to become enlightened, ways that people are prone to become enlightened. One is through um, changing the postures so if you if you're sitting a lot doing walking meditation can be very beneficial if you're walking around a lot sitting down sometimes just that's all you need and if you're really stressed out lying down can sometimes lead to to enlightenment Uh, the second one is illness so people who are very sick can the sickness can of course help them to let go because they they are confronted with a suffering that they're not able to fix and so they have to change their perspective ordinarily we have a hard time letting go of this idea of trying to fix everything and that that perspective that 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 um methodology is is harmful because it creates expectations and it creates stress when when things don't work when you're not able to fix things and so on it's just not an enlightening way of of behaving but when you have great uh sickness it can be a real catalyst for enlighten for letting go because your sickness is is what they call uh, svabhava dukkha it's suffering that you can't just get rid of you can't just uh, wave away you know, illness is there and um you either let go or you don't there's not a third option of fixing it and the third is vedana is is uh, or um yeah is is pain so some people who are in such great chronic pain is a good example because it's such a an object of attachment, um, it, letting go of that can be a very powerful experience. Enough for to create clarity, and uh, and enlightenment. And the fourth is um, is death. Giving up your life. You don't have to die necessarily, but letting go of of fear of death in the face of death. Some people who are confronted with death have a near death experience or something. It can be quite enlightening as well. So those are the four. Uh, really common uh, outstanding or, or standout ways of becoming enlightened and pain is one of them so be aware of that pain isn't a problem in mindfulness practice at all in any way um, but practically speaking especially for a beginner it's it's not shameful to take a step back to retreat. Just understand that you're retreating and you're going to eventually have to confront it take that perspective that you're not going to fix things by moving by running away from it but if you can't take it don't be ashamed to to step back a little bit and if you can't do so much walking that's fine but be confident and and comfort comforted by the fact that pain can be a great teacher and and absolutely do the walking through the pain It can be a very don't 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 walk but stand when you feel the pain just stand still and note it in a standing position if and when it goes away or after a long time it doesn't go
0: away but you're more blasé about it then you can just go back to walking anyway
3: is chanting the word buddha a part of vipassana meditation no no, um,
1: I mean, there's this really technical discussion about this or note about this that technically, yes, but not in the way that you think. Because we usually use the word Buddha to to think about a a being, right? And we visualize a Buddha or we think about the Buddha. And there are other sort of different ways of using it. But the thing is that Buddha is an adjective and it's a quality of mind. Uh, of enlightenment buddha's not i guess the best one and probably i mean it's really stretching it to suggest this but technically speaking it's a state of mind and since state of states of mind are impermanent the problem is you can't directly observe it you're observing it in an abstract sense of an idea that you're not actually experiencing because unless you're a buddha you're not experiencing buddha right so the short the short answer really without that confusing technical aspect is that no because it's a concept a buddha is a a being and beings are conceptual and so it's very clearly in the realm of samatha practice now there are some meditation traditions that um, take it as an observation of the knower because uh, literally in thai especially and it's mostly a thai tradition but in thailand we translate buddha they translate buddha as puro one who knows but it's not really a translation because puro would be uh, i don't know nyata maybe uh Win knew is one but but there's you know Winyu is also a special way of knowing there's no one who knows and so because thai has sort of uh translated buddha as one who knows they think of this word sometimes as the consciousness and so it's just being aware of your own conscious now consciousness now in that case there is the potential for it to be a um an object of of vipassana meditation because the consciousness of course is impermanent suffering and non-self the problem is the use of the word buddha is confusing because anyone who uses it is only using it because of its relationship to the buddha a being or or to the state of enlightenment which is what it actually means buddha is one who doesn't just know one who is awake literally one who is awake because budj the root budj in regards to being awake even if you wake up in the morning you're said to be buddha you you've woken up Um, but we don't use the word like that but literally that's what it could be used as um it could also mean one who has gained bodhi which is a state of enlightenment i mean i don't know it's 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 literally awakened it certainly doesn't mean one who knows not literally and so when you think of your consciousness as being buddha I mean, as I said, technically, if it's just the consciousness, well, that's fine. Consciousness is impermanent suffering and non self. And because you can see that as a result of focusing on it, you can become free from suffering as a result. But the writings about it seem to go the other direction and seem to think of it as some kind of special thing consciousness as some kind of non uh, impermanent entity. And so. I think at the very least it's dangerous i wouldn't recommend using it there's absolutely no reason to use that word because there's that's not ever how it's used in the tradition to refer to one's consciousness buddha is always referring to in something to do with enlightenment and that's how it should be used if you're going to follow the tradition and i may be there may be something that i'm missing about all of that and i I certainly you know don't want to stress any kind of criticism of other traditions but just point out that some people do use it in certain ways but i do get a my sense is that they get on the wrong track as a result it doesn't appear doesn't uh, instill confidence in my mind hearing what they say
0: about their practice and the results of their practice
3: i have free time all day long I feel a sense of emergency to practice intensively, yet I keep myself
2: busy with futile things because I know what I will have to face will be very unpleasant.
1: Do you have any advice? Well, you really have to, as a part of your practice, confront the things that you uh, use to divert yourself from the practice, whether they be enjoyable things or whether they be, I mean, probably you're talking about enjoyable things, pleasant things, right? Because facing in the facing the practice would be unpleasant i guess i think is what you're saying and that makes sense but um the things that you find very pleasant are actually stressful they're actually a cause for sickness they are a cause for suffering and so becoming more familiar with that will help to some extent you just have to do it you just the, the other thing is that you just have to do it so finding a community Finding peers who also practice, getting support through the for the practice, is really essential. The Buddha said it's it's the it's all of it. Every it's it's, it's everything.
3: Finding support and, and and guidance and and companionship, good companionship. I benefit each time I do walking and sitting practice. But still face difficulty in sticking with a daily
1: practice,
2: and often go weeks without practicing mindfulness. Do you have any advice?
1: Just carry on. Again, um, finding a community will
0: help it to become more, uh, more continuous, more constant. But
1: um, you know, be encouraged by the fact that you are meditating, and just work on it. You go weeks without. Well, the the good part of that that I'm hearing is that you come back to it. So I'm happy to hear that you are doing some meditation. Not it's not enough. Again, if you're not doing a daily practice, you're not really meditating. But you can always come back to it and work at it. Again, try to. One thing that we're doing as a community now, we're trying to do, and it's slow, but hopefully it will come. Something will come of it. we're trying to set up a sort of uh, support group for people setting up support groups. So if you want to set up some group in your area or if you're doing something in your area, we're setting up a group to meet once a month on our Discord server to talk and to encourage and to support and offer advice and and, maybe even some kind of uh, teaching for, uh,
0: for, for people out there who are trying to keep things going in their area. I've heard people saying, and I also feel this sometimes, that they have been meditating for decades and haven't got anywhere. How can one deal with this? Yeah. Um,
1: Well, there is a difference between intensive meditation and daily practice, and there are differences in techniques. Some techniques are... Just going to go a lot slower, or are not ever going to go in the. You know, can just be going around in circles. Some are 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 strictly focused on samatha practice, and so they just make you peaceful and calm some, for a while. Which actually isn't going nowhere. It's just it's not ever going. It's like filling up your gas tank, which is good, but you eventually have to spark the ignition through seeing clearly. So, uh, generally speaking, that's not accurate to say that they're not getting anything about out, out of it, um, because it's it's something that changes the very essence of your being. I mean, the alternative would have been what not meditating ever, and and instead engaging in all sorts of uh, enjoyment and sensual pleasure and so on. So, on the one hand, it can be a sort of um, over expectation and and the underwhelming it's it's an it's an underappreciation of the benefits of of mindfulness but again they, often they aren't being mindful and they you know many of those people i would say are not even not practicing in this tradition uh and certainly not practicing intensively it's pretty hard to practice this tradition intensively and not learn something not under, understand yourself better
0: not free yourself, or become stronger and 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 more clear-minded. So I don't know that we really have that problem in this tradition. I mean, everyone has problems.
1: This, there's no. I'm not trying to say this is easy, but it's more just the inability to practice, or falling off the practice, or that sort of thing. There are many kinds of meditation out there. So, so one thing you have to always keep in mind is the word meditation. Can mean many different things, much of which is watered down and not
0: very um, directly uh, efficacious. During meditation, how do you approach noting an emotion when you are not
1: clear of what it is you are feeling? Well, hopefully, over time it becomes more clear, and you get better at recognizing what emotion you're feeling. But you can just note feeling in those cases where you don't know what it is. Um, I would instead recommend noting, uh, determining whether it's liking or disliking, because quite often that's what it is, and you don't real you, you 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 know that it's maybe different from other states, but you don't recognize that it's either on one side of the fence or the other. Most emotions are on one or the There are some that aren't, but most are on the side of liking or disliking. So the exceptions are things like worry, uh, restlessness, if you want to call that an emotion. Um, but pretty much everything else, like even fear is a kind of a disliking involved with it, boredom, et cetera. depression. If you can't recognize quite what it is, ask yourself, is it a liking or a disliking? Because usually it's one or the other. Uh, Otherwise, if you don't know what it is, you can also note the confused, confused state. Anything that you're able to note clearly when you know that you are confused, that creates clarity when you say confused, confused, and that will help you
3: better pinpoint and recognize what you're actually experiencing.
0: I hear the constant noise of a highway.
2: Should I continually note that, even if I can't return to the rising and falling of the stomach?
1: No, those kind of things only would only note them if you if it's the kind of thing that's going to create irritation. If it's something that you feel like you would react to, then stay with it until it goes away or until you've had enough and you're more blasé about it. Uh, But do stay with it for some time if that's the case. Otherwise, just note it when you when
0: you notice it, and then go back to the rising falling.
3: Noted a few times. I have schizophrenia, and I am on medication. I practice your vipassana technique.
2: Can I still progress, if not still so quickly? I may have a problem seeing a rising and ceasing of experience.
1: Yeah, I think medication doesn't completely prevent you from seeing clearly, but it, it does inhibit it greatly. So be aware of that. It's going to be slower, but it's not futile just uh, more of a challenge so a part of your practice will eventually have to be weaning yourself off the medication and learning how to confront schizophrenia confront the paranoia and confront the hallucinations and be able to see the difference that things that you see and hear and even think are not the same and not equivalent to the paranoia that you feel about them or the reactions or if it's paranoid schizophrenia or if it's just make you sad or afraid or angry or or whatever um they're not the same they're not one and the same they are distinct and being able to note them independently so eventually um that's the, the, the I, I whether whether a schizophrenic in general is able to do that or or whether it's asking too much I don't know I'm not offering you advice or telling you what to do but just saying that it's going to prevent you because you're avoiding the, the,
0: the mind states using the meditation, medication.
3: My mother is passing away right now in my house, likely within hours. Do you have any advice
2: on what I can do to help deal with it?
1: Well, for yourself, obviously noting the sadness and uh, sending her good thoughts. Uh, I wish I will send my good thoughts may you be happy may your mother go on to a happy place make sure you're there with her um reassuring her that um you are at peace and that you can she can let you go and uh helping her to stay present try if you can to not encourage not push drugs on her if that has any
0: any part in it, try and help her to be have a clear state of mind when she passes. I don't know if you've read our booklet. I guess it's maybe pushing it to ask you to read that. But if you
1: have and if you've done any meditation in this tradition, just make sure you spend a little time with her being mindful. It will help you to talk with her and, and present a, a good front to as an example for her as a reminder
0: as kind of a support for her dying is a part of life in buddhism it's not the
1: end so we're not that we're not as stressed about it though we do appreciate the important the incredible importance of it it isn't the end of the world
0: it's just important to have the right frame of mind
3: Should you speak up when somebody talks badly to you, or if you see someone talking badly to someone else? I mean, it's it's usually it's not as much as you might think. I would say um,
1: you should speak when it's appropriate to speak on a subject that it's appropriate to speak on and someone talking badly to someone else isn't the, isn't a major factor someone hurting someone else isn't really um a cause to intervene you have to have some part in it like i mean if it's happening if, if there's physical violence happening right next to you then then you physically have a part in it and you can in, you can get in the way or hold someone back or something i think that's actually quite buddhist to do Um, but if it's, say, just verbal and it's between two family members and, for example, you're not a part of that family, then you don't have a part in it. Um, But if you're a part of the family and two family members are engaged in a positive discussion or a negative discussion, a harmful discussion or a a helpful discussion, then, then you do have a part in it and you should take part in it so if people are talking about meditation and so on you should uh, you should take part it's 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 your business right and likewise if in your case as you're saying two people are someone is talking bad to someone else you can interject now if it's true to yourself then then it's much clearer you are definitely involved and and the guideline that this buddha sort of gave is to um to not stand up for yourself but to um speak up for yourself to um to to point out what is not true as being not true to accept what is true as being true to um provide explanations for for accusations when accused of something to be able to explain your actions Uh, But it's all contingent, really, on you staying calm and and not speaking up, really, because, I mean, it's just that, yes, there's nothing wrong with saying speaking up, but usually that gives us the feeling when we say that of being defensive, of fighting back, which is not really considered helpful. I mean, Buddhism doesn't have a sense that that's the right response to anything but there's some kind of not even defense but you know providing wisdom really uh, knowledge truth providing truth someone says something that's false be clear uh if it's your place to say if it's about you or if it's about a family member that sort of thing be clear to state that that's not true like like for monks if someone says something about the buddha we don't defend the buddha we just say that's not true and that's all We have no need to defend the buddha we just uh, speak the buddha said don't
0: don't speak in defense just say what is true if they say what is not true just say that's not true
3: is intensive practice much more efficient than two hours of daily practice yes yeah
1: because the the rest of the hours of your day are then relegated to at best partial mindfulness or occasional mindfulness i mean even 2 hours of practice isn't actually saying as much as it might seem because it sounds like you're saying 2 hours of being mindful constantly which is never the case unless you're enlightened so even within those 2 hours are you actually being mindful when you practice all day not only are you is there more practice but it you there's a greater Capacity to improve because it's constant, and so your each session builds on the next. So, I mean, there's multiple beneficial aspects. The one is just the amount of it, right? And the the lack of ability to do anything else, the lack of time to go in and 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 be unmindful. Um, but the other is just the the uh, the
0: build up that comes from uh, one session leading to the next. How can we have motivation to practice and surround ourselves
2: with people that are also practicing? Especially here in Brazil, there are very
0: few people that identify as Buddhists and very few practice mindfulness. Uh, So I think the grammar is not quite,
1: I'm assuming that there's some grammatical issue here that you're actually asking, how do we have motivation to practice? And how can we, it's not really, it's just ambiguous, but I think you mean, how can we surround ourselves with people that are also practicing? Because it sounds like you're saying have motivation to surround yourself, which is not, I think, what you're saying. So Surrounding yourself with, self with people that are also practicing is is the answer to the first question. So the real question is, how do you surround yourself with people that are also practicing? And I, I assume that's what you're asking. But either way, I'll say that's that's how these two things relate. Motivation is really the best way is surrounding or getting involved with the community and that sort of thing. So um, I can't help you in Brazil, obviously. Uh, but finding a way to do it without a community is just harder so if you're absolutely not able to find other people interested in meditation it's just you just have to accept that it's going to be more of a challenge and that can be okay just accept the challenge and and accept the fact that you're going to progress slowly don't be too hard on yourself when you're not able to commit or not able to have great motivation because it's hard when you're alone Uh, but there are people in brazil who practice meditation besides you and it may be possible to find them you could start a group and as i said we have a sort of we're setting up a system to try and help people are setting up groups so if you want to join our mentorship program on our discord community you can join that program and we can talk about it maybe help you in some way or other help you at least connect with others you can also just connect on our online with our discord community we have lots of people on our Discord server who talk about meditation and Buddhism and there's
0: volunteer meetings if you want to volunteer in the organization.
3: Can you explain the importance of continuity of mindfulness? Why is it detrimental to be mindful
2: three to four minutes here and there throughout the day, which is my case?
1: Because the rest of the time you're you're counteracting it. You're potentially counteracting it. It's not bad what you're doing if you're mindful three to four minutes here and there throughout the day that's really actually quite great but what about all the times that you're not mindful you're i mean some teachers would say it's like turning on the heat and then turning off the heat right you'll never get it'll never it'll never boil and i wouldn't go so far i don't think it's quite accurate to say that because it's not
0: like heating up and and letting it cool down again but um you're gonna you're talking
1: about a you, you're you're just lengthening out the potential um progress It's just going to take exponentially longer to progress because you've got all these other bad habits that are clouding the issue and clouding the mindfulness i mean it is even true that well it's i mean it's only it's true that it, in, it's all, It's going to take a long, long time for you to ever get to the point where all those moments of mindfulness are going to be meaningful and going to come together and provide you with the clarity that you need to really let go. Now, with intensive practice, as I said, it's just there's not the
0: uh, break. So there is. it is kind of like heating water until it boils but more
1: importantly you're you're not forgetting uh what you learn from one session to the next you're not getting distracted from it and so you are able to build from session to session from day to day much better so it's kind of like uh building a house uh you if you want to build a wall the bricks have to be connected i don't know something like that so the moments if you, if they're not connected it's 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 very very shaky your your knowledge, your understanding your clarity of mind is
0: going to have big holes in it
3: I want to be kind and build a relationship with my mother, but I get a somewhat cold reaction
2: which ruins my mindfulness, and I become emotional. I have decided to somewhat isolate from her.
1: Is this skillful? I don't like the word skillful so much. I know people use it. Let's ask if it's wholesome. I like that word better personally. Uh, skillful is too dry, and uh, it's not really... I don't think it's really accurate. Um. So I, I think... I, I suspect that wanting to be kind and wanting to build a relationship is actually part of the problem because the problem that you may not be seeing is that wanting and desire causes suffering so when you say i become emotional that's usually the result of not getting what you want right and the buddha said not getting what you want is suffering and so that's honestly what it sounds like you're experiencing here because you get, you don't get what you want. What you want is a warm reaction and what you get is a cold reaction. Because you want a warm reaction, you uh, become emotional. Now, none of that really has to ruin your mindfulness. You can be mindful and learn from your emotional state. I mean, it's a very good object to see uh, the, the reactions that arise. But it's also important to be mindful of the wanting. Because the thing about that is behind the wanting there can be a perception or a belief that that is a good thing and the belief that that is a good thing leads you to want it right it enforces the wanting it prevents you from being objective about the wanting okay? honestly wanting to be kind and wanting to have a relationship with your mother are not good things uh, what i would say is that mindfulness is a good thing and through the practice of mindfulness you become more kind you become more able to be kind without even really wanting to you get a better sense that being kind is the right thing to do Um, and you don't concern yourself with your relationships with others I mean in the sense you're not concerned with the state of your relationship you are kind you are thoughtful you are mindful And whether other people are not, you start to see that that's out of your control. You even start to see that some of your mind is at least temporarily out of your control. You can't just turn off your bad habits and bad emotions. And so you shouldn't expect for everything to be peachy keen because on both sides you've got bad habits. So it's just a matter of learning to be mindful and learning to work through your own bad habits and give up your expectations of other people being free from their bad habits. So, I don't think isolating from people is the answer. I think you should be able to see that that's just a knee-jerk react or a reaction to your reactions, and your reactions are caused by a kind of a faulty premise that you th- that there's somehow some benefit in trying to force an outcome, in wanting a certain outcome uh, with things, including even being kind. I mean, kind as an outcome, wanting it isn't really the way to be kind. I mean I'm just mincing words maybe that's not i mean, having an intention to be kind isn't bad of course but it's not really quite the way it should be best be put. So yeah I would say it's probably not wholesome and it's probably not the answer to
0: isolate because that just um evokes more aversion to people and to things. I have practiced meditation for many years, rarely talking to anyone. My
2: verbal language skill is becoming weak. I cannot speak with confidence anymore. Can the silence in meditation cause this?
1: Well, this is, I think, a case where I don't know what you mean by the word meditation. Um, I would, I would ignore all that. I'm not really able to answer that part of your question and just focus in on the problem of I cannot speak with confidence, so figure out what that means, what is the experience of that? What is the experience of trying to speak? When you make an intention to speak, what happens? Is there doubt? Is there what we would call low self-confidence, which would maybe be some kind of worry or fear or anxiety? I'm not saying that there is, but if there is, that's something you should be mindful of. I don't really know exactly what you mean by I cannot speak with confidence. So you have to ask yourself what that is because that's you've identified that as an issue. And issues are things that we try to understand as experiences and try to see them clearly. So I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate or if you've done our tradition. I mean, maybe you have, but, It doesn't sound like the kind of thing that would happen as a result of this practice, though. Again, it's not so much the practice, it's how you practice. So uh, maybe you want to do an at-home course in our tradition, maybe come and do an intensive course in our tradition.
0: I, I can't say without knowing more about what kind of meditation you've been practicing for many years. I notice many people have issues with the feeling that they are controlling their
2: breath. I experienced that as a teenager, but not since I started formal
1: meditation. Are there any important lessons there I mean, it's a strange question because you don't have that problem so um I mean, know your question is are there any important lessons uh, well don't don't worry about the past, I guess I guess my my sort of not very helpful answer well helpful but not very direct answer is to not not focus on the past and certainly not focus on other people's issues
0: so if you don't have an issue then uh, try to not distract it and go back to focusing on what you do have issues well focusing on your experience see if you have any issues still what is vipassana jhana? Uh, jhana means meditation, so vipassana jhana
1: means vipassana meditation. Um in the con in, in the Buddhist context, the word is often used to mean states of a meditative states, like states of, of mind that are um distinct from ordinary states, and distinct simply because It's very. It's not a mysterious thing. They're 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 distinct for the singular reason that they are free from the hindrances. So in Vipassana, we focus on ultimate reality, which is our experiences, the physical and mental aspects of experience. So there's something called the the commentaries call this Lakanupani Jhana, samatha practice, where you focus on a concept like a light or, or the breath. Even can be used as a concept um focus on beings for metta practice then you enter into what is called the aramanupanijana jhana jhana that is focused on an object so jhana is focused on the characteristics it's jhana as a result it's you enter into a freedom from hindrance by seeing the three characteristics of impermanence suffering and non-self the reason why the hindrances arise is because of perception of st- stability, or, or because of delusion based on stability, satisfaction, and control, the opposite of the three characteristics. So when you see the three characteristics in experience, you, you give up the five hindrances, they, you become free from them. And as a result,
0: it's called lakanupanijana
3: Until we've come to the end of the hour. That's all the questions we're prepared to ask today.
1: Okay, good questions. Thank you all. Wish you all the best, everyone. Thank you, Chris and uh, Jim. It's Jim, right? Mm-hmm. Jim's here. So Chris and Jim, for your
0: help. Have a good week, everyone. Sadhu. Sadhu.